Well, it's great to be with you here today. Um, we're actually going to be talking about the end of a ministry of about somebody else um, today. It's the last of the series in 2 Timothy. You would have, uh, over the last three weeks, taken the journey through Paul's last letter to his protege, young Timothy. Any Timothys in the room? No Timothys, okay. Any Pauls? Right. Any Alexanders? All right, okay. You better hang around. There's a few words about you a little bit later on. Before I start, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and minds. Help us to understand what it is that Paul is passing on to Timothy. And in understanding that, help us to see the relevance of it to us as Christians today. Help us to be obedient to your word. Give us the strength to stand up for your word. Help us to be more like Jesus. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now those of you who were around in northern France near the port of Calais on November the 14th, 1914, please stand. If you were, you would have witnessed Field Marshal Frederick Slay Roberts, who was a distinguished Anglo-Irish soldier, probably one of the most successful commanders of the Victorian era. He was in his 80s and he lay dying of pneumonia. As he neared death, he wasn't reflecting on his glorious military career. He wasn't reflecting on the upcoming First World War, although he had warned the politicians of his, his home country of the impending uh, German uh, troop advancements. As he neared death, he was telling those who were gathered about him of the importance of studying the Bible. He said this, I ask you to put your trust in God. You will find in this book guidance when you are in health, comfort when you're in sickness, and strength when you are in adversity. 2 Timothy was the last New Testament letter written by Paul. Not long after he wrote, uh, he wrote this, he was put to death by order of Emperor Nero. Timothy had been Paul's fellow worker for four years. Timothy had ministered alongside Paul through part of his second and third missionary journeys. He visited such exotic places as Troas, Philippi, and Corinth. And by the time this letter was written, Paul had been with Timothy, sorry, Timothy had been with Paul for 10 years. The purpose of this letter was to pass the baton, to give over the responsibilities for ministry from Paul to Timothy, and to provide encouragement for him and strength in the face of difficulties that were to come. Now he wasn't writing it looking out over the ocean. Paul was in a prison cell. 
I said earlier, the, the Emperor Nero was in charge, and he was crazy, all historians would agree. He had a lot of responsibility for the uh, fire that destroyed half of Rome. Not that he lit it, as is popularly believed, but the way the organisation of the city uh, was, it wasn't ready to deal with the fire. Citizens of Rome were not impressed with Nero. They were, there were a lot of undercurrents of, of disquiet. Nero, to protect his back, found a convenient scapegoat. Scapegoat for the Christians. He figured if he could divert the attention of the populace to the Christians and blame them, they wouldn't blame him. Now, unfortunately for Paul, he got caught up in all of this. He was in prison, a Roman citizen, facing death. So that makes this letter fairly important, doesn't it? Almost the last words of Paul. He wants to leave something to his um, apprentice, if you like, Timothy. Now we can remember, when we read Acts, that Paul was confronted. He was, he was persecuting Christians, so he was sort of on Nero's side before. But when he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus in 36 AD, it all turned around. And since that time to this, he'd been preaching the gospel for 32 years. This letter contains a lot of personal details, hopes and fears, anguishes and warnings. Paul wanted Timothy to know that even when hardship came along, that he was to continue in those things that he had learned, those things that we had, he had passed down to him from his grandmother and, and mother and Paul for the last 10 years. He encourages him in 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because I know those from whom you learnt it, says Paul. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. How from infancy you have known the Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So not only did Paul want Timothy to remember his heritage, but for Timothy to remember how he and Paul together as a team ministered over the last 10 years. Fight the good fight, he says. Keep the faith. He talks about himself. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and kept the faith. So he was placing his own life, Paul's life, forward as an example for his and encouragement for Timothy to consider. So that Timothy, like Paul, could follow in his footsteps and continue the work of preaching the gospel. Anyone here compose emails? Yep, yep. Do you put chapters and verses in your email texts? No? Well, when this letter was written, neither did Paul. Probably because he didn't have a computer. But the letter that he wrote didn't have chapters and verses in it. So it's convenient for us to have chapters and verses because it helps us to go to the text. But in, in rereading this letter, it's supposed to flow as, as a letter. 
So the section that we're dealing with sort of starts a little bit earlier in chapter 3. In that last part of chapter 3 we learn that scriptures are God-breathed, that scripture is valuable and true and that Timothy has been taught the scriptures from an early age. And then Paul launches into chapter 4. And what he has to say is, first, the message that I'm giving you, Timothy, is in the presence of God. I might be mouthing the words or writing them down, but the message comes from God. I have the authority of God and of his son Jesus to tell you this. It's not me, it's God. So listen. Sounds like your mother, doesn't it? You better listen to what I have to say. But that's important. He is trying to make that point. So what does he say? Very simple, three words. Preach the word. Can you remember that? Preach the word. Preach. What's that? Well, that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. It's a verbal action. People talking, people saying things. A proclamation. I lift up my voice when I preach. I don't talk like this all the time. Well, you can ask my wife about that later, but I don't talk like this all the time. The definite article, the. That's important. Why? Because it identifies the word that's to be preached. It's not just any word, it's the word. The word that God has spoken. The word that is the deposit. The word that is sound teaching. It is the truth. It is the faith. It is Old Testament scripture. It is Paul's teachings. It is what God has spoken. It is the eternal word. That's what Paul wants Timothy to preach. He says, preach it. Tell people about it. Keep it pure. Don't contaminate it. Don't change it. We're not here as Christians just to hear God's word. As Timothy, we are here to tell others. We are to believe and obey. We're also charged with guarding it against falsification. And as we preach it, we may suffer. Yet we are to proclaim it and to herald it. Now, how does he want Paul? Uh, how does he want uh, Timothy to preach the word? Well, he wants him to do it urgently. Be urgent. Be ready. Stand by. Be ready to give account. Be on hand. Be prepared in season and out of season. Press the message home on all occasions. Be on duty at all times. Don't be lazy. Timothy preached the word urgently. But Timothy also preached the word so it's relevant. For all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, ready if you like, for every good work. So at an intellectual level, if you like, we are to argue, we are to correct, we are to convince. Some have doubts about God's word. 
we need to convince them with God's word. At a moral level, we need to rebuke, reprove, set right. Some have fallen into sin and need to be rebuked, brought back, using God's word. At an emotional level, we are to encourage, we are to exhort and appeal to, for some have fears and need to be encouraged. How? Through God's word. So Timothy preached the word urgently. Oh, and Timothy preached it so it's relevant. Oh, and by the way, also preach with patience. So preach urgently with patience. Almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The word of God is in itself very powerful. We do well to let God's word do the work. We don't need to try and force an outcome simply to satisfy one of our timetables. Rather, we need to be faithful and diligent to proclaim God's word and let his word and the spirit do the work. So proclaim it urgently with patience, Timothy. But not only that, Timothy, preach the word intelligently. For instruction in God's word needs to be carefully given. There's a need to preach and a need to teach almost simultaneously. So Timothy, when you preach God's word, preach it with all teaching. Whilst you're doing it urgently with patience. Any proclamation of the word must also contain a summons to repent, recognition of our sin and an instruction as to how we ought to live, what we ought to do after we repent, so that we live a life worthy of our calling. So it's pretty simple, Timothy. Preach urgently. Preach a relevant message. Be patient. And be intelligent. Pretty simple. But Timothy wasn't a natural-born evangelist. He was fairly... Um, shy he had doubts he was modest about his capabilities a bit like all of us here would have feared standing up in front of people or a crowd some of whom would have been hostile and preached the word we know that he knew the scriptures his mother and grandmother taught him well Paul taught him well over the 10 years that they were together. I wonder how Timothy reacted when he was given a job. Go out and preach in those ways. Preach the word. Well, probably like any human who was a little bit uncertain of himself, he probably would have feared what he was to do. Very uncertain. So Paul is in the business now of, of trying to keep encouraging him, give him reassurances about uh, the support that he has to be able to do the work. He was heading out into an environment uh, which wasn't easy. The social and political uh, situation at the time, as I described, was very unstable. These were dark and difficult days. There was unrest in the community. There was unrest within the Christian church, and we learnt that Paul also warned him about false teachers. Uh, earlier on in 2 Timothy, 
there was a uh, growing problem within the church and, and it was anything but calm, a bit like today. So Paul wants to expand on some, some issues to help Timothy uh, as he goes about his task. There's a growing problem within the Christian church, he says. And it's all about ears that itch. I'm not talking about ears that itch on the outside. I'm talking about ears that itch on the inside, closer to the brain. He warns Timothy how people will actively shy away from the truth. He tells Timothy that people will not endure sound teaching. They will not be able to stand the truth and refuse to listen to it truth hurts truth is challenging people will shy away from the truth because it hurts because it's challenging he warns Timothy that people will accumulate around themselves teachers who preach a message that suits them that suits their itching ears Christians will shop around they will look for preachers whose message agrees with their views. If they don't get what they want, they move on, find somebody that will. He warns Timothy that people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, untruths. They'll be looking for teachers who turn and twist the meaning of scripture until it no longer resembles the truth to satisfy their itching ears. They will look for people who will preach what they believe rather than what God's word says. They will do this to satisfy their itching ears. They will seek a message that's contrary to the teaching of scripture. Who knows about junk food? I think there's more. Junk food is convenient. But junk food... My niece is a medical nutritionist. She tells me it's full of sugar. In fact, Alex will tell me his food's full of sugar too because he's been doing some, some uh, research. But it's full of sugar. It's meant to satisfy as a hit. It's a bit like those energy drinks. Bang, you get an immediate hit, but there's no long-lasting effect. There's no substance to it. So these people who have got itching ears, searching for people who will, look, who will say things that make them feel comfortable, all they get is spiritual junk from the pulpit, from the, uh, from the preachers and pastors that they go and seek. Junk it's not, doesn't have any lasting benefit, no eternal benefit. Quick hit, get my emotional high, feel good, but that's it, short-term stuff. So he's warning Timothy that people will go for spiritual junk and be aware. People will look for emotional stimulation. People will look for the validation of their behaviours that, that they're engaged in. They will look for a liberal interpretation of scripture that won't make it too hard to be a Christian. They will look for seeking a prosperous or maybe victorious Christian life here on earth. There's no eternity in that. They will look for ways of always feeling happy, always feeling elated. They will look for people who 
give them special revelations that nobody else has. God has revealed himself in the Bible. They will follow preachers. They will idolise preachers and pastors because they're dynamic, not because they preach the word of God. They will look for individualism and individual satisfaction and not participate in Christian community because that's too hard. By raising these issues with Timothy helps us may be aware of, of similar issues in today's society. And we could do well to examine ourselves at this point. Do we have itching ears? Do we find the truth of the gospel awkward? Do we come to church with a set of expectations that we want to have satisfied? Will we take the attitude that if it doesn't work for me, then maybe I should go elsewhere, take my business, my church business, my church membership elsewhere? Who's running this show anyway? Is it me or is God? If you answer in the affirmative that it's me you really have to look yourself in the mirror because one day you're going to face up to God and he's going to ask you the same question he's going to give a, make you give you account of yourself if you or I are the center of attention of attention of what goes on in our world uh, as if we have any more claim to the content of God's message than anyone else as if our great need, whatever that is, can be satisfied. If it's not satisfied, do we take our business elsewhere? But if we are meeting with God's people, if we are meeting around God's word, if we approach our times together with an open mind, wanting to hear what God has to say from his word and respond to that teaching, however hard that might be, Living life as a Christian isn't a competition. It's about loving and serving and obeying, glorifying God and loving your neighbour. Well, that's halfway through um, the first part of page one. The last bit is not as long. Paul is now going to reflect upon the relationships that he's had during his ministry. He's going to uh, talk about individuals that he has had, uh, that he has come across. He wants to point out to Paul, to uh, Timothy, that Christian ministry is hard on relationships. We learn earlier in Paul's missionary journeys that Demas was a fellow worker. He worked alongside him, uh, but now we find, towards the end of Paul's ministry, that he singles out the same guy, Demas not as a fellow worker, but as a deserter. So whilst he might have been there in the beginning, he's not there at the end. Crescens and Titus have gone somewhere else as well, and only Luke is with him at the moment. So people will come and go in our lives, they will help us to do what we're doing, and they will move on. Sometimes to do God's work, but in the case of Demas... Friends in the ministry can let you down, Timothy, and never care for you again. Because Demas didn't leave Paul to, to uh, continue the work of the gospel. He left Paul because 
He was in love with the world. He wanted to embrace the pleasures of the world. We will find people in our life as we, are, as we move through it that move into that situation. Some come back and some never come back. Timothy, good friends in ministry can let you down and they will. But we can still be good friends. John Mark was one of uh, Paul's um, team. At one point in time, he and Paul had a disagreement. So he said to the church leaders, he said, look, I'm not taking John Mark with me. Um, whatever the reasons were, whatever the disagreement was, at that point in time, he didn't see that John Mark was a positive asset to the work that he was doing. Yet here at the end of his ministry, he says that he has been a useful person. Bring Mark with you, he said. He is very useful to me. Good friends in ministry can let you down, can disagree with you, can fall out with you. But you can still be friends in ministry. And, and Timothy, Jesus never intended uh, you to enjoy just his presence. He intended that you would also enjoy the presence of Christian friends. In verse 9 he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. And, and in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. He yearns for Timothy to be with him. He longs for it. We long to have our Christian friends around us. Even though human beings are fickle, finite, fallen, fallible, failing friends, Jesus is never failing. Paul still cherished contact with imperfect human beings. Jesus didn't want people to be hermit Christians. He wanted them to be in relationship with each other. He wanted them to do the hard yards, to get alongside people, to love people in spite of the characteristics and personalities. Christ died to create his church. His church consists of his people. However, Timothy, in the long run, Jesus is the only totally reliable friend. He is the only flawless friend. He's the only one that won't let you down. In verses 17 and 18, he expresses this in, in very deep words. He says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, that they may hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. So as much as we like and love our earthly friends and family, they cannot do for us what Jesus can. They cannot rescue us from every evil deed. They cannot rescue us from every, every angle and every difficulty in this world. And they cannot bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. There's only one person who can do that, and that person is Jesus. Now, the last part of, of, uh, of this chapter, verse 13, is, curious, is 
a bit of a curiosity in a way. At the end of his life, Paul is saying that I need to be spiritually nourished still. So what does he do? Verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. And above all, the parchments. We don't know what they were in these scrolls and parchments, but we think it was the basic scriptures, the old, as we know the Old Testament, plus some of the writings that he did during his 30-odd years of ministry. And he wanted them to have them in his last days. He wanted to continue to read and think towards the end of his life. And finally, Timothy, people with great authority don't need a lot of things. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Seriously? You want me to bring a cloak a thousand miles to you? He wants his friend Timothy not only to come himself, but he wants him to bring the cloak. Paul obviously would have handled lots of things in his day, probably also lots of money, gifts for the church. He kept very little for himself. If God has given you the ability to make lots of money, um, beware how much you keep. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Invest in Christ's mission because he will be the one who will bring you safely to the heavenly kingdom. So Paul wrote this last letter to his protege Timothy. In the letter, he wasn't dwelling or complaining about his situation. He was more concerned with the furtherance of the gospel. He was awaiting death. He had run the race. He was briefing Timothy on what lay ahead. He passes on that responsibility, urging Timothy to keep his head to endure hardships and to discharge all the duties of his ministry. William Tyndale, a year before he was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536. Why? Because he gave us the Bible in English. He wrote from his prison just north of Brussels, just like Paul, saying this, I beg your lordship, that if I am to remain here through the winter, that you request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods of mine which he has, a warmer coat also, for this which I have is very thin, a piece of cloth too to patch my leggings. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary that I, might, that I may pass that time in that study. What will you be doing when you come towards the end of your life? Will you be able with Paul to look back at your life with no remorse or regrets? Where do you hope your thoughts will linger at the end of your day? Do you have a Timothy as a fellow worker in your, in your life, a worker for the gospel? Will you be in a position to encourage, support and pass on your work to another Christian with the assurance that God will guide them through trials and difficulties? How will you finish up? Will you finish strong? 
Will you be able to say, along with Paul, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. For to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.